Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Learn From Gaming Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we dig into some of our favorite games and discuss what we learned from them and just why we like them. For those of you counting, this is episode six, and I think that that's awesome. Uh, and we're coming at you. It's August 2nd, 2017. My name is Chase Strollenberg, and today I'm joined by... Stu Gritter. Hi, Stu. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you, Chase. How are you today? Oh, I'm just... You know what? I'm actually pretty good. Now, um, anybody who's been <laughs> tracking... Anybody who's been tracking might notice that we took a little bit of time off. We were just making sure that the the website was up and running, that we had podcasts out that people could listen to, and we even took some time for ourselves. Um, so, yeah, you, um, I'm hoping you're feeling rested, even though I know your life is super hectic. Um, I'm feeling pretty good. Actually, my wife's on vacation with our son, so I'm home all alone with the dog. Oh, nice. That's, that's, uh, a little bit relaxing then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, did you enjoy your time off, or were you too busy to enjoy your time off? Um, I, th- I think... I think maybe you're misreading the schedule because we were gonna record. Oh, are you? We were gonna record last week, and that's the, yeah. That was the week that I went through and added the music everywhere and did all that stuff. And then <laughs> I was talking I, about the time then, before. And then I thought we weren't gonna record this week, and now we're oh. recording right now. But oh, that's okay. There was a week before that. I don't remember. I feel like I didn't communicate that properly. Maybe. Well, no, no, that's okay. We're we're good at communicating. Okay. Um, it, it's what we're doing here. Yeah, so for anybody who's showing up for the very first time, um, just uh, very similar to what we said in the introduction, this show is all about um, just looking back at games that we've played either recently or in the past um, and trying to find some educational value in them, but also trying to explain why they were fun. And also specifically, uh, if there's like relics or artifacts in them that made them exceptional at the time but now may not make a lot of sense we, we like to dive into that and just sort of explain it um it doesn't happen too often but i've noticed like a, a good example was the understanding how zelda could be fun when so many people the original zelda for nes could be fun when so many people just can't grasp it now um and how that was sort of a lightning in the bottle or uh like a just a flash of lightning kind of moment where you had to be there to understand it so um yeah that's uh that's what we're trying to do it's uh we're i'm still waiting on feedback from an audience to let us know if it's if it's playing out very well but the few people who have heard this podcast seem to really enjoy it so Stu, let's transition into the next section unless there was something you wanted to talk about was there anything you wanted to hit real quick right nope. off the top nope 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 i'm i'm good to go Okay, so then we're going to move into what we learned this week, or in this case, many weeks. Um, This is the segment of the show where we discuss things that we learned about gaming this week, or the last few weeks. Stu and I love tech gaming news, and um, if you ever have a story about tech or about games that you think you'd like to hear us discuss, feel free to uh, share it with us at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's our our email, and uh, we'll read it. We'll, We'll come through it and discuss it. So, Stu, did you have any news you wanted to touch on? Uh, no, nothing has crossed my path the last the last couple of weeks. I've been uh, I have been exclusively not reading gaming news. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, now, me on the other hand, I've uh, <laughs> I've been on a quest. I've been kind of just sort of searching the internet for anything that was similar to what we were. 
uh, and just trying to see what types of podcasts showed up. So uh, the first one I want to discuss, uh, I know maybe this should be uh, in another section, maybe like the shoutouts at the end, but I, I feel that it's it's worthy of discussing. So I found a podcast called Plus 7 Intelligence, um, and it's a podcast um, that is entirely about how games can improve the world. Um or just uh, like the the positive qualities of games. So for anybody who wants to find it, it is Plus 7 Intelligence. It's run by a gentleman who's an engineer by day and an avid video game player by night, also now a podcaster. Um, but that podcast led me to a completely other net- network, so I went down a rabbit hole and I found the Geek Therapy Network. Um, now that's... Uh, uh, I'm going to say, just because the only person I've been able to uh, get in contact with so far is Yosue. Um, now, uh, it's it's actually a network of a bunch of different podcasts that focus on things like video games and psychology, and also pop culture and psychology, and how those realms can intermingle and mix. Um, it's one of the best places to go if you want to know about how tech is being used in things like counseling or um, or uh, sci- well I guess uh, psych- psychological uh, engagements. I'm not going to say psychiatry because I'm not 100% sure if they have a psychiatrist on staff. They also have um, they have a uh, there's a she's a doctor she was a clinical psychiatrist I think first and then she went on to learn how to develop games and I think that's uh, Kelly Dunlop um, very very cool uh, stuff going on over in that network so uh, I just want to make sure I've got everybody's name right because I will feel very bad if that were the case um, yeah Kelly Dunlop and Yosue uh, Cardona. Now, uh, Yosue, if I say your name wrong, I apologize. I'm not doing it on purpose. Um, but I think I got it. Um, now, the reason why I bring up Yosue is some of the stuff that he's been doing, um, he, he talks about on his podcast, and I think that it's very, very interesting. And one of the things that he does, and I'm not going to say exactly that I know 100% that he does, but um, it's sort of like the concept of prescribing a game or using games while in, in counseling um, to sort of get uh, people to open up. Sorry, I'm going to turn down that volume. Bad chase. Um, or in, in order to access, right? So now, particularly, this period in time, I think the saturation rate uh, for video games in our culture is estimated at close to 90%. So about 90% of the North American culture uh, like about 90% of North Americans uh, who show up on a survey <laughs> yeah. have, uh, have engaged with video games in some way, shape, or form. Um, and that means that if you understand video game culture, uh, there's a very high probability that you can either relate to or start communication with them, right? Now, if you are in a counseling situation where maybe they're insular, they're closed off, um, and you're having trouble figuring out what they're interested in. Um, he's in a number of his podcasts actually sort of uh, presented situations where he was able to open people up. And um, I, I think that's really cool. He also uses pop culture. There was a really good rep- uh, really good example that he gave where he was trying to um, use the amazing Spider-Man's spider sense uh, 
um, as a representation of anxiety, he was talking to a, a, a patient about anxiety. Um, and even just talking about Marvel Comics, had that that patient open up, they admitted that they weren't a really big Spider-Man fan, but they loved X-Men. And uh, so did Yosue. So they were able to just have a conversation and then move on and develop the patient uh the patient counselor relationship that is productive and healthy. And I think that that's like super, super cool. Like, have you ever heard of stuff like this too? Uh, anything of that specifically using culture, pop culture tools to connect with people, I guess not in a, not in a professional setting like that. It's, I mean, it, it's a, it's a common thing to try and build common ground. Uh, but with those specifically, I'm not sure. I think the closest the closest thing that I'm aware of that I don't know is similar to this was uh, "Game Saved My Life," and that was uh, I think it's a Tumblr "Game Saved My Life." I became aware of that from I think it yeah I'm looking at it now. It's maintained by Ashley Birch. That's probably how I heard of it. Uh, okay, cool. So it's just like stories about gaming now that's not a professional using pop culture to gain access to somebody or to to help somebody open up although i guess it's kind of the the culture itself (laughs) helping people open up it's kind of skipping the the professional aspect of it but that that's the closest thing to it i guess okay um well the reason why i mean aside from the fact that it's super cool uh that this stuff exists the reason why i bring um up in particular is I contacted his network because I was interested in uh, following up on that article that we discussed, you, you know, about the, the woman who uh, she was really learning, excited. Yeah. Be, yeah the, she was excited about her son learning more from video games in Sesame street. Um, and I mean, I had some red flags. There's some stuff that I don't know, right? Like, again, we're not professionals, right? We're especially not psychological professionals. So we, <laughs> um, the workings of the brain are not, something that we are experts in i've got a little bit of background in psychology and it was uh, mostly like intro psych and then acquired brain injury um and that had a lot to do with uh, uh personal history just people in my family either had alzheimer's or had uh acquired brain injury um so <clears throat> uh yeah i reached out to him because i wanted to know about things like uh studies that suggest that there's increased aggression in, uh, in individuals who uh, overindulge in screen time or, or children who may be too young to indulge in, in screen time or video games. And I also um, I was also curious if he had, and by he I mean the entire network, I, I wasn't sure if this was going to get vetted to everybody, but if the entire network had an opinion on agent time to start. And he got back to me really quick, like within the day and only a few hours, and we actually were able to have a little bit of an exchange. But um, I asked if I could read his answers on our next podcast, and he said, yeah, so if uh, you're okay with that, would you be willing to let me do that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, Yose says... I'm a fan of the concept of your show, and I respect you reaching out to me to get more information. These are great questions uh, with very complicated answers. Different experts will provide a variety of answers for them. Um, I suggest you seek out specific research articles. 
Yes, this can be torture and incredibly difficult. No, or not just to read the articles, but even gaining access to them can be a problem and sometimes expensive. Uh, and that's what I was afraid of. Um, I know how hard it can be to actually access any kind of psychological journals that you don't have um, a membership to. And now that I'm no longer a university student, it's, it's a lot harder. So I totally get that. Um, he goes on to say that in general, there is no one answer, but I'll give you my thoughts on a few of these points. Uh, screen time. Each person's life is different. If all of the important things are, uh, are completed, i.e. school, work, taking care of family, hygiene, sleep, and food, then whatever time is left over, whatever it, that is, would generally not be considered a problem for play. Um, only when screen time takes the place of other things is there a negative effect. The clinical, or in clinical terms, we consider something clinically significant if it causes a negative effect on a person's daily life, but that varies from person to person. Okay, and then he says, in relation to aggression, uh, research on aggression usually states that aggressive behavior is observed during gaming and for very short time, or, and for a very short time afterwards. Uh, I'm talking minutes, not hours or days, although it depends on the experiment. If you read some of the research experiments, uh, use non-gamers playing difficult games. So the aggression seems to come from someone who doesn't have the experience with a dual analog controller and first-person shooters, having to play that game for 20 minutes under observation. The, uh, the aggression seems to come from frustration in that case. That is my view, and not... Uh, okay, that is my view, and not always reflected in the research article's conclusions. A problem with a lot of gaming research is it doesn't consider the nuances of gaming. Yes, it's frustrating to lose, to have difficulty with the controller, to play something new, to be timed out, etc. And that's all he really says about aggression. So the last thing is age, and he says, I hesitate to answer this one since I'm not an expert in this area, and opinions greatly vary. I think parents are a big factor here um, when dealing with kids. Adult supervision really matters. Also, games and TV can be amazing and appear way more appealing than the alternative, i.e. school, <laughs> playing with toys, having dinner, going to bed, etc. So a lot of problems come from a child having a preference or poor emotional regulation. Poor emotion regulation, sorry, I read that wrong. Uh, controlling the urge to watch more Netflix versus going to church on Sunday. And then that's all he had to say about that. So he said, I hope that this helps. And that's all he had. So thank you very much, Josue. Uh, that was really, really cool. Um, what do you think about that, Stu? Uh, well, of the three, three, I guess, separate pieces there, the, I guess it, I can understand it being super difficult to try to pin down a screen time limit and the clinical description of it's not a problem until it interrupts another more important part of your life even that is something that i mean i, I mean pick a gamer who hasn't had a night <laughs> too late right playing yeah. oh you start playing follow four or civ you start playing civ six oh just another turn oh it's four in the morning fantastic well, but he's, he's good to stipulate that uh, every person's life is different. And also, I would say every person's, like, um, like, their attention at a certain point in their life can be different as well, right? Like, their priorities. 
Well, not only that, I mean, it's you're going to find the same thing with people practicing, you know, their golf swing, people watching Netflix. Everybody occasionally has a night where they're up too late doing something they enjoy and they're tired the next day. It it's so it it's really hard to pin down when is that really a it's a blurry line yeah. where you're going to call he, something a problem. I think he hits that he too, did. right? Yeah. And that's the term clinically significant. Yeah. Um and I I mean I agree. I 100% agree like it's yeah. it's it's tough. I mean, when when I ask the questions I do, it's a lot of it is because like I I've, I've got a kid, right? Um he's 11 months old now, but that 11 months went by really quick. Um, I'm excited for him to play games someday. I want to play games with him. I want to engage with him. Um, I like to think that I'm a pretty patient guy, but I'm worried that I might end up fucking him up. If, <laughs> like if I saturate him in too much video games, right? And I think yeah. that, that my wife would like stop me, but like I'm concerned that what if I get too excited and I just like push him into this stuff and I do something that's unhealthy. So I uh, like as a parent who wants to be responsible but also wants his child to enjoy gaming, I want to induce him, or introduce, induce him. I he want to, he was already, he was induced, that's how he showed up. Indoctrinate him as a yeah. gamer. I want to introduce him, like, in in the most proper way that I can and uh, develop healthy gaming habits. Um, you know, like, we all fall off the horse and do something we shouldn't. Um, yeah. Kids will test limits, like, that's that's what kids do. Um, but I would, I would like to start things proper and I'm just, I'm not sure how to do it. So, well, don't worry. Um, no, no, no other parent knows how to do it either. That's why you have so many, <laughs> so many, you know, you have the, the crazy football or the crazy hockey parents, like screaming at the, the four-year-old teams and going insane and like pushing their kids crazy hard to go into sports or cheerleading or, you know, all the things that they wish they did and were good at when they were younger. Mm. Yeah, it's, but I don't want to do that same, either. Yeah, no, no, no. It's just, but that's what I mean. It's it's the same yeah. kind of thing. It's a, it's the same principle of being passionate about something and hoping your child can share in that passion, <laughs> and just <laughs> just yeah. being sensible. You're you're a sensible enough person to do that in a logic in a in a healthy way. <laughs> you hope. We all hope. I'm I'm right? pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's really all I've got. Um, yeah. There were a lot of other things that happened in games over the last few weeks, but for the most part, that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add or any other thoughts? Like, uh, I think that that's a really good takeaway and it was an awesome addition to sort of an open-ended question that yeah. started last episode. So, uh, the, Yeah, the only other note that I scratched down was yes, of course, if you're going to put a non-gamer... Into, I mean, this is just a sensible thing. You bring put a non-gamer and give them a dual analog controller and make them play an FPS for 20 minutes. Yes, they are going to get frustrated. Yeah. They um, are going to go crazy. There's if, actually, there's a guy at Brock who was doing uh, gaming testing and he was specifically interested in uh, people's reactions to, I think it was the newest Mortal Kombat from NetherRealm. And I don't know if you ever played it, but... Um, if you didn't know how to play it and you were sat down with somebody who did, I could I could see aggression coming out of that. Because I know that his uh, experiments were potentially aggression-based. Like, he stirred up enough attention that he ended up in an extra credits episode. And I'll make sure to include that episode in, a, uh, in the show notes. Um, I can't remember it off the top of my head right now, but... <clears throat> yeah, there is some of the practices to get some of this information... Mm-hmm. Um, are like getting 
accurate data from psychological testing can be very difficult if you don't realize that you're being biased uh, in what you're looking for. Um, and there are things that people who are immersed in gaming culture would think are intuitive that someone who has never engaged with games, that, that wouldn't be the case at all. Um, and if you're just visiting video gaming as a psychologist and you've never actually engaged with video games, you might not understand uh, those nuances. So, And I, I think that that email did a pretty good job of explaining that, yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, again, thank you, Yosue, for, uh, for sending in that email and for just sort of helping us out a little bit with that. Mm-hmm. Um, not always easy to get those kind of answers, so uh, the fact that uh, you made yourself accessible. That was really, really awesome of you. Um, and that was a point that I, I had ever had never really considered before either. Um, just how much of an effect that that could have if someone doing the research uh, wasn't taking into account how important the culture was and their uh, their subjects. Well, yeah, and the, the nasty truth. Uh, I don't want to get too political, but the nasty truth behind fake news is that sometimes there is fake science which is why some people can believe that stuff like global warming doesn't exist because they can get convinced by irresponsible scientific representation um and i I mean at this point you have to be a very stubborn person not to believe in things like climate change um only because so many scientists are behind it and there is so much proof but um yeah, it's, Re- yeah. Research done with an agenda is scary. It's not really research at all. It's uh, it's something else, and it's almost weaponized. It's dangerous. Um, it's very carefully, rhetorically applied research. Yeah, <laughs> propaganda, if yeah. you will. Um, but uh, yeah, if there's nothing else you want to say about this, we can shift into the uh, what we learned from gaming. Yep, yep, yep. That's good. All right. So I just read an email. And I think I would like you to go. <laughs> I see. I see how it is. So uh, this is the section that uh, some of you have been waiting for. It's uh, where we each pick a game and <clears throat> that we've played and we decide to describe it. So uh, this is what we've learned from gaming. So, Stu, what have you mm-hmm. learned from gaming? All right. So this has come up before in another episode where Chase is very organized and sends me ahead of time. Uh, game that he's going to cover and some of the points and all that stuff and i i'm just i'm not nice enough or organized enough to to get that to chase before the episode so usually he doesn't know what game i'm going to talk about until this very point i never know it is fantastic i love it i'm going to completely sandbag him so (laughs) the game that i'm going to talk about right now is ancient anguish and i think i would I would react, but I have no idea what that yeah, game I, is. Yeah, I, I think very few people are going to know what that game is, and okay. that's and that's totally fine. So, I'm kind of I'm kind of going to be stuck using Ancient Anguish to talk about. I think a lot of the things that Ancient Anguish did, most games in the same genre did. Ancient Anguish is a mud. A mud is a multi-user dungeon. Okay. Basically, it's a multiplayer text adventure. So, 
ancient anguish launched, I think, in the early 90s. And so I was, I think, late grade school, early high school, using Telnet to connect to the servers to do text back and forth. Wow. It's a multiplayer, like, like it's an MMO, but just text. It's a fantasy role-playing setting. It's got the normal, you log in with your account name and you create a character if you don't have one yet. You kind of uh, select whatever fantasy race you want to be and your generic stats and whatever else. And then you're just let loose in this open world. So you spawn into a, a newbie-friendly town and you can roam around it with your normal, like the, the typical text adventure like look take book open door move south all that kind of stuff so very very traditional in that sense and you would explore whatever town you started in you could find class halls to select whatever class you wanted to be so the starting town would have the fighters arena and uh, the mages tower and i think clerics were in there and the rogues who weren't supposed to exist uh, had a, a class hall in there as well. And there were like newbie friendly areas that you could go to to get small jobs, to make a little bit of coin. And then eventually you just kind of level up whatever class you are, go out and kill baddies and there's a big crime system. You can explore, they eventually opened up multiple islands. So it was very, very interesting. The other neat thing about ancient anguish that some places didn't have. It's not something that I interacted with directly, but they had player created content. So if people were any good at scripting or creative enough to do any of the writing or anything like that, there were actually massive areas of the game world that were created by not the people who owned it. Hmm. Which was also really cool. But all in all, it was just a text-based RPG with a crap ton of other people. Now this, like I said, this was early 90s. That was quite a ways away from World of Warcraft, at least. Yeah. Uh, I would be lying if I said I, I knew the actual dates of EverQuest, which was a bit earlier and still had massive player base, or Ultima Online. Uh, but Ancient Anguish was also free. That's a big difference. And, I mean, it's it's just one game in a, a sea of similar things. And, and these came about right shortly after BBS's, you know, people who were online for quite a while were used to BBS's, so text-based stuff was not, just the old school, like having bulletin boards and, like, Usenet feeds and just, like, old school internet before web browsers, basically. Okay. Got it, yeah. So so people who were using the internet more back then were very much used to that kind of interface and blah, 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 blah. Okay, so, so what just, kind of... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, just It, it opened up role-playing and, and bringing in a wider community than people might have thought into fantasy worlds and working and playing together. Okay, so then what kind of personal engagement did you have? Did you play this with friends or did you have like any significant milestones playing it by yourself? Um, what was it that you enjoyed so much about it? 
It was, for me, it was a lot of the playing uh, an RPG with uh, other, yeah, just other friends that I had. So there, there were probably a couple of people that I went to school with that played it, but a lot of it was just other friends that I had met through gaming, uh, people that I had, you know, played StarCraft with, people that I had played the original Diablo with, that everyone could come together in this particular game, and it was just it was just another game for people to play together and socialize through, and especially with a lot of player-made content and with a lot of just as an MMO, very approachable, very social. It was a good community hub. Okay. Um, well, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, what about, <clears throat> so what about like just, uh, just core, uh, educational stuff that you got out of it? Well, getting used to the syntax of everything because I didn't grow up on text adventures or using BBSs or anything like that. So there was a, a bit of a learning curve in terms of getting used to that interface. But that also opened everything up because it was a syntax thing that was player player made in so many areas. That led to a lot of exploring a lot of just trying a bunch of different things to see what would happen. So it was a it, there was a lot of exploration that happened and a lot of I think I guess just kind of sleuthiness. I don't I don't know really. I'm not sure how to de- how to describe it. A lot of like um, community driven problem solving. A lot of collaboration. Okay. Collaboration. Yeah. That's the there that's you the go. Word. I'm getting um, there. Actually, yeah, no, that's and that's a really valuable thing, especially to develop um, so young. Like we we don't realize it now, uh, just because we live in the glorious age of uh, FAQs that appear overnight. Yeah. Um, but being involved in that kind of community discovery, like being those pioneers, that, that must've been an awesome feeling. Yes. And, and one of the, one of the biggest jokes, I, I, I assume it was made as a joke, was that when the game launched, there was no stealthy rogue class. They kind of, the developers of the game just kind of snuck it in at some point. And the, there was a bit of a convoluted thing and some searching around that you had to do in the starter town to, to find the rogue guild and become a rogue. And people didn't notice it first. It took a little bit of time before, you know, you're walking through an area and, like, you're, you know, you're, you're missing a pouch or something like that. And, and you wouldn't know that people were stealing your things because that wasn't something that people could have done before. <laughs> That's fun. Nobody knew that there was a rogue class hall because it was hidden and nobody told anybody else it was there. So there was this brief period of time where everyone was on this massive hunt trying to figure out, are rogues real? No. And of course, all the real rogues are laughing in the corners and not telling and anybody. not telling anybody and like yeah. pretend, no i'm just i'm just a fighter i'm just a really crappy fighter it's okay though so rogues actually were a nice little hidden feature for quite a while it was really neat that kind of stuff going through and trying to discover things yeah, like, like that with the group that. was really cool you definitely couldn't do that today no that's um, it, it, yeah. it's it's really it, 
we see it over and over and over with developers coming out and, and they're afraid to put development time into something that fewer than 90% of their players are going to see, right? Because that's, that's considered wasted development time. Right. Then so, it has to be a labor of love and most people aren't getting paid for love. And yeah, the closest we get to that is something like Easter eggs and, <coughs> and, and people love doing Easter egg hunting in in all kinds of video games it, it it drives people to do all kinds of crazy crap it's really really interesting yeah so finding the hidden stuff and when that hidden stuff is really important like a, a new class that you can play or an island to explore or you know some fancy new spell that nobody else can cast or location of some fantastic <laughs> weapon or whatever it's really, really yeah neat. yeah uh that just, sorry that just reminds me um I don't know if I'll ever talk about it. I might talk about Final Fantasy Tactics one day, but they're one of the biggest Easter eggs in Final Fantasy Tactics for the PlayStation, the original PlayStation uh, from Squaresoft was um, Cloud Strife was a playable character that you could get at the very end of the game, but only if you had gone down a really convoluted uh, a quest chain, like side quest chain. Mm -hmm. um, and the problem was when you got him, you then had to level him up because he was level one and everybody else was like end game level. Um, just a really like awesome to get him, um, but also almost no payoff because you could take a regular character, a regular unnamed character, and have them be so much more powerful than Cloud. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. When people commit to doing stuff like that, um, really, really cool. And I think this is definitely one of those situations where, um, like, it, it would have been so awesome at the time, and now I'm just stumped as to how we could ever do it again. Yeah. I th the other... I think the, the other part that kind of worked in tandem with that, I don't want to completely derail that train of thought because it i i want to go down that somehow okay. the, the the other interesting thing about it was that the service would reset every 23 hours and you kind of for the most part you would lose all of the gear that you collected there you could store a certain amount in in special fancy lockers so you could you know keep important stuff and like you would keep your money and the stuff that you were wearing and that kind of thing but uh, important, like medium tier important items would get reset from time to time and the super mm. uniques would get reset. So it also reset all of the areas and any story progression that was occurring within those regions. So because it happened every 23 hours, you would effectively once a month, you would have a, you know, a few days in a row where if this is the, you know, the normal window of hours in which you play, the world resets and it's completely fresh for you for the you know this week while you're playing and that wow. that really turned everything around too because there were some weeks where you know y you would be exploring an area for a while and you would get there and it might be relatively safe and there are some some monsters there that you can kill and you get decent experience and maybe you're skinning them to you know make some armor to sell or whatever and then when that 23 hour clock comes around a different time on you now all of a sudden the area is you know underwater or everything is on fire or there aren't moose there <laughs> there are you know pixie goblin dragons or something just the world felt more alive because of that as well yeah that's uh, yeah, uh i was gonna say i feel like yeah wow didn't even try to do that 
I don't I can't even think of a single expansion where they really tried to do that. Um I mean their refreshing was just monster respawn, really. Yeah. And then the world would change if you went down quest chains. Or when they release an expansion they would rejigger some stuff every now and then. Yeah, but like day day and night was really kind of insignificant. Yeah. In that game as I recall. Um yeah, uh, did you have you ever played another MMO that uh, that did anything even close to that? that made it feel that way. The closest I would say would be there are private Ultima Online shards, and <laughs> okay. and some of them infamous. Oh yeah, yeah, and and some of them have like GM driven role playing sessions, so that would probably be the closest thing. I mean that that's a whole other whole other basket of roses to have to deal with <laughs> yeah but yeah that almost reminds me i used to uh gm uh there was this horrible old uh vampire game it wasn't bloodlines it was something else um it was like a vampire the masquerade game where yeah. you could gm and okay. um you could basically like spawn stuff and try to control the game and you had to be really good at scripting if you wanted to get npcs to work yeah, yeah or generally it was just you puppeting um something that you put down but uh yeah some of the old like baldur's gate baldur's gate 2 icewind dale some of that stuff had had similar ideas i know like neverwinter nights had a, a really really big uh custom content community which was well, maybe we'll deal with that some other time but <laughs> okay yeah okay. so so yeah it was it was it it felt that that really helped to bring along this this feeling of that world being alive especially when there are other uh, just other people there playing it with you exploring it with you you know you're traveling along that same learning curve together and it was neat cool um hmm cons uh we've talked about a lot of pros were there any cons well for one yeah there's the the text base is uh the, you have to get past the interface right as yeah. much as much as it is about you know hel helping you know it, it's a tool to help your imagination but it means your imagination has to has to work it has to work a lot <laughs> <laughs> that's and that's fair. that's frustrating and when exploring can be less entertaining when you're trying to find the right words to express what you mean so if you're trying to open a hatch, but it, it it's not a hatch, it's a schmubbleboo, then, you know, if you're typing hatch because you think it's a hatch and some description calls it a hatch, but it's not actually a hatch, then you're wasting all of your time and, and it's not good. It's okay. just, it's just yeah. the, the frustration of having to deal with that um, syntax-driven text parsing, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah, that could be a pain in the butt. Uh, also having everything reset 23 hours is absolutely mixed bag. When you start to get to the point where you find something really incredible, but is marked by the server as you're not going to keep this on the server reset, it kind of, some people, I could understand feeling that it diminishes your reward a little bit. Like you finally earned this big fancy thing. You know, you, you were the first person to, kill some wizard and get the sword of holy crap and now it's going to disappear on you 
which yeah. would be can be frustrating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's probably well. If you went back and tried to play it right now, it would feel less MMOy. <laughs> I think. I think you, you, they're looking at like roughly two. Roughly two hundred. Maybe two hundred fifty unique logins per day. Yeah, right now. Oh, there are currently 20 characters visible online on Ancient Anguish. Oh, there you go. Neat. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, cool. Cool, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. All, all done? Was there anything else you wanted to say? Any parting words? Um, I think most of the stuff that applies from Ancient Anguish would probably... You would get similar things out of other muds as well so there are definitely interfaces have come a long way since using just telnet people have made clients specifically for playing games like this and some servers have really really good really really good kind of like plugins for some of those those clients Uh, there are also a lot of muds that have been updated much more than ancient anguish and have much larger player bases so if it sounds some, like something that is kind of interesting i wouldn't know of one offhand but there are you know the mud community is still very much alive and there is some interesting stuff out there that like things that will make the text interface a lot easier to deal with you know it'll show you your equipment you can walk around with wasd or with the arrow keys or you know you can type in i want to go north 36 times instead of hitting n and enter 36 times that kind of thing so there there are quality of life improvements that people have made but it is still a text adventure so okay eh, there you go (laughs) okay cool they're they're out there if you're interested uh i don't know (laughs) i don't know if i'm interested Oh, um, the, the learning sure. the learning curve on all of them would be interesting as well. I'm yeah, sure some like, are more approachable than others, but um, Dwarf Fortress uh, it got me in because it it had a graphical interface. Um, it still had tons of text, but mm-hmm. uh, it was able to pull me in. I don't know. I don't know if I could do a mud right now. If I can be honest with you, not be. I mean, I could have uh, back yeah. when we were both the same age. Uh, I definitely would have engaged with that 100, percent but. Uh, right now, I don't know if I could do it. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I haven't played a mud in quite some time, so. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. And um, why would you? the The world is saturated <laughs> with incredible games. Yeah. Um, Twenty people playing Ancient Anguish right now. What are you doing with your lives? <laughs> I hope that they're studying <laughs> it. Um, okay. Well, I'm gonna. I'm also gonna jump into the past today, uh, just because I wanted to sort of have. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I wanted a companion, uh, a yin to the yang of uh, of last last uh, show with Final Fantasy two, or Final Fantasy four for the SNES. So th- uh, today I want to talk about Final Fantasy Legend two, which was released by SquareSoft in December um, nineteen ninety in North America, uh, and it's for the Game Boy, the Nintendo Game Boy. Um, so in Japan, this was released as a uh, saga, uh, saga to Hino Densetsu or saga, uh, saga ni Hino Densetsu. Um, and the, the saga series was, uh, sort of a deviation away from the regular Final Fantasy series, um, that has a bunch of history that you can 
find online. I don't want to go too deep into it. But basically, the core mechanics of this JRPG was the more you did something, the stronger you became at it. So, um... Uh... Uh, f uh, the original Final Fantasy 2 on NES, not Final Fantasy 4 on SNES, uh, had uh, this system in place, and the person behind that is actually the person who helped develop uh, the Legend or the Saga series. And um, so the concept is you attack with a sword, you become better with swords, you take hits, you get more hit points, you become uh, more durable, you use spells, um, you become better at magic, and you start learning spells. Um, that sort of concept and uh a turn-based uh turn-based combat is what you what would occur whenever you would get into a boss fight or into a random encounter but otherwise it's an overworld map that you are exploring looking for treasure and engaging with uh with npcs now um what set this apart from final fantasy uh final fantasy 4 on the snes was instead of having a set party, you could make your own party. Uh, you could choose from humans, which were uh, physical characters, very good at using weapons. Uh, you could choose from mutants, which were sort of like um, uh, magic users, uh, magicians. Um, you could use robots, which their stats were entirely dependent on what you equipped on them. Um, they would rise or fall depending on how much they were equipped, and uh, they would also, um, yeah, th th their abilities would recharge if you went to an inn. Um, and then monsters, which uh, their stats improved as they ate the dead remains of your enemies, um, which is sort of an interesting way to do things. Um, so well, yeah, that's how I do it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's how. Okay, well, good for you. Um, now, uh, this game was also a deviation from the original in that uh, you had finite use of equipment. Uh, so if you bought a, a spell book, there was a number beside the spell book. And once that number, like whenever you used it, that number started counting down. When that number got to zero, that item deletes itself. It just disappears. Um, so weapons and spells and I think shields. You could choose to defend with a shield. Um they had this effect. Um, humans were never able to learn additional abilities, but got the most out of their equipment and leveled the fastest, I believe. Mutants could acquire spells over time, and as their magic is what progressed uh, faster than anything else, it was usually ideal for you to just keep using the spells that they learned on top of the books that you could buy. Um... Robots, just uh, whatever equipment you put on them, uh, their the the finite number was reduced by I think it was half. Um, but they could recharge that every time they went to an inn, which was really really handy. So basically, they like fabricate their own ammunition or uh, they resharpen swords and stuff. Um, and monsters, they just got whatever abilities they got after they ate something. So a monster could actually change form. Uh, if you were in a fight and something dropped meat after it died, you could choose to eat that meat and then the monster would shift into something else. It was an, it was a random number generator kind of result, like, but it was usually in a tier and there were a number of tiers that monsters could come from. Uh, I didn't really like the monster class, so I don't know how much we're going to talk about it. Um, and that's the basic mechanics for the game. 
you you go around, you fight enemies. Um, really, you're just sort of here. Let's see, like I'm trying to think. In this game, you're a set of characters tasked with saving the universe. Uh, and what's funny is your world jumpers. Like you use a giant beanstalk to travel from world to world to world. Um, sort of unusual. Uh, there are points where you're fighting gods. Um, I think you fight Odin. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm. Uh, it's been a little while, but I'm pretty sure you fight Odin in this game. Now, in terms of personal engagement with this game, um, like the, I would argue that right now the era of handhelds is in like its greatest age. Because we've got tablets, we've got smartphones, we've got uh, dedicated handheld systems. Um, the Switch is selling faster than they can make it, which I don't know if anybody ever expected to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, um, if PlayStation ever made another handheld, I'm sure it would sell like crazy right now, uh, as long as they did it right. Um, but uh, I feel like when we talk about handheld RPGs, this is the game that really sort of set the standard. Um, the Game Boy was one of the, the first, like, insertable game RPG, or first insertable game handhelds, um, because there were those weird tiger handhelds, uh, from the 80s that just had a single game on it, yeah. and so you were always locked into playing that single game. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the, the Game Boy, like, you could switch games out, and what's weird is the Game Boy, um, I think it almost had better hardware than the Nintendo, it's just the screen was bad. Um, it was that horrible off off yellow green screen yeah um but like this is literally the golden age rpg uh the reason why i'm not talking about final fantasy legend one is final fantasy legend one was sort of a crappy game (laughs) like this this is an example of um the developers learning lessons from the first game and being like oh well we can make it cooler introduce a few classes like a few extra classes i think the monster and the uh the robot, or maybe just the robot. Um, but what else this did is, like, as a child, imagine growing up and you have complete freedom to choose your party. Um, this resulted in me, like, creating numerous, numerous parties, like, starting over multiple times because I always wanted to get the best party composition. But more more importantly, I just had a really good time Um I really theory crafting. Well, theory crafting, but also just renaming people. <laughs> okay, just uh, I yeah. loved making groups of friends, and I mean, it was just such a weird and interesting time for me as a kid. Like I, I could just make these bands of of friends. Also, I I played this game long enough. There were occasionally times where I just had to change the friends around because friendships shifted. Um, <laughs> you know the the social dynamics of grade school tough tough thing mm-hmm. um but uh yeah and also sometimes i would get like the analysis paralysis sort of situation where it's like i'm in a situ- i'm in a situation i'm like oh this is really hard oh what if i had taken that other race instead because you could only take yeah. four you could only take four characters um so even though there was so it was like mutant uh, like there were four races even though there were four races uh it's still like i i generally didn't like i double up on one either mutants or humans just because they have the best growth progression um robots are cool i always had at least one robot um and i almost never had a monster but uh yeah the 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 races that can actually grow uh were the ones that you wanted in your party 
Um, so here, let's see. Uh, discuss. I want to discuss what made uh, this game better than its predecessor and the engagement that uh, that I had with it. So I think I've already done that in that it, it improved over time. But like how I encountered this game was um, one of my neighbors had the first game and it was it was garbage. But because it was a Final Fantasy and my entire family was gaga over Final Fantasy, uh, we were really interested in it. Um, and it was weird because Final Fantasy was like your dad's game. Um, I think we've talked about this before. Like The reason why I had such a strong attachment to Final Fantasy IV on Super Nintendo was it was one of the first games that I ever won. I watched my father win the original Final Fantasy, but what made this game so interesting to me and why it lingers in my mind was my dad didn't really engage with Game Boy. Like, Game Boy was a toy uh, to him, uh, whereas the Nintendo Entertainment System or the Super Nintendo hooked up to the main TV in the house, and so, like, that was his domain, whereas this was something personal and private that I could have for myself. Um... So, like, uh, some interesting pros for the game. Uh, there was lots of freedom and customization, which was awesome. And you also had the choice of what gender uh, certain types of classes could be. Which, in 1990, in an RPG, um, maybe in PCs it was more common, but, like, for handheld and for NES era, pretty rare to get... Yeah, yeah uh, pretty rare to get that sort of thor- uh, forethought. And I thought, like, really, really cool. Um, because now I could have a girlfriend <laughs> in-game. Um, but no, like, it, it was just... It was such a great um, option. Uh, the main story was driven off of the first character you created. And that story didn't really change whether you were male or female because the pronouns used never really identified you, I don't think. Um, which wasn't a big deal. I think they just called you by whatever name you uh, you assigned yourself. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I thought that that was really interesting. I like cons for the game. Uh, the game required a lot of grinding. Um, and again, as a child, I didn't always grasp the, the, the nature of that. I also, like, the complex resource management of finite weapons going into a dungeon where you can't accurately assess the size of it. Um, that could get tough. <laughs> that could get really tough like even playing it safe in this game you're still using your weapons um if you want to level or you're just running away from everything but if you're running away from everything you're not progressing which means you're not going to get very far and i think that was the problem that i was in um also the monster class was basically garbage <laughs> that was a that was a horrible con um now, in terms of, like, educational engagement, like, skills that I took away, like, resource management, of course, is key when you have finite weapons and resources, like, you have to learn how to manage them in order to get through things. Full disclosure, I have yet to win this game. I got to a certain point so many times in this game and just quit because I just wasn't leveled enough for it. Um, and I didn't have the patience to to just keep leveling and, and get through it. That doesn't in my opinion, devalue anything else that I took from the game. Also, another con that I forgot to bring up is you walk everywhere. At least in the original Final Fantasy, you got an airship or you got a canoe or you got a ship and you could sail around. You walk everywhere from beanstalk to beanstalk through world to world to world. Mm. Um, Yeah, big trip. And because I was stuck in the have to explore everything and go back to every town twice... 
there were a few times where I went back to the first world just to make sure I wasn't missing anything because uh, Squaresoft was infamous in like hiding Easter <laughs> eggs and stuff that you could get. Yeah. Um, this game didn't really have it. Like there was really no benefit to going back, um, except for maybe acquiring items if you use too much of one item and they didn't sell it in another world. Um. Yeah. Now I'm and and I want to get back to like the the educational thing. So like resource management key, um, just creativity. Like so many times it was just my friends and I on an adventure. Right. Never use the default names of anybody because I don't even know if they actually came with them. I can't remember off the top of my head. But just being able to immerse myself in this game, which is a little harder now because the graphics are so bad. Um, but like that is what really drew me to it um the story is a little worse than the final fantasy 4 story like the the villains aren't even mustache twirly you're not even really sure who the villains are you just keep going up up that beanstalk i'm assuming because bosses just keep getting bigger and badder like eventually you're either gonna fight god or satan or something that's threatening the universe but uh probably both yeah, maybe. All in one. Um, but, uh, yeah, things weren't quite as clear. Um, so the narrative was a bit muddy. But it was still, especially for the age that I was at, it was very engaging. There was some very cool level design. There was uh, one level where you actually have to fight off viruses inside a woman's body. So you go, you get shrunk down into her body, and then all the random encounters are viruses, and the main boss is a virus. Um, and that was unusual for, (laughs) like, didn't didn't see that coming. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, uh, some really, really interesting stuff for the time. Um, again, that gender, the, the, the option to choose gender was just, uh, very, very cool too. Um, something that looking back now seems so progressive, um, for that time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, so I guess in summary, Though a bit dated now, this game, like, it, it was one of the first really good RPGs on a handheld system, and I'll argue that it was a good RPG. Um, I mean, it allowed you, by its very design, uh, or it allowed and by its very design encouraged you to experiment with team composition, while also training you to use the resource management that I've, I've talked about a few times. Um, it was one of the first games I ever played that had gender choice. And uh, that said, this game was also pretty hard for me at my age, and playing it required both grinding and walking. Um, There is a remake for the DS that uh, has not come to North America, so you can only play it uh, through emulation, I think, right now. Uh, Or the DS isn't region locked, so you could theoretically buy it in Japanese if you can read Japanese. Um, But uh, otherwise, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping maybe at some point somebody brings uh, an updated version of this over to North America, maybe on the Switch. Uh, I'd really like to play it again, but I don't think I'd like to play it again on the Game Boy. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's that's that. Um, Very different game from Final Fantasy IV, um, but still a worthwhile experience, I feel. And it's something that 100% it's nostalgia-driven. Like, that's how I engage with this game. I'm not sure if you, you'll, you uh, like, develop any attachments to it playing it now in our grumpy old 30s. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I would go back and play it again now um, just, just for fun. I think a lot of the things that you brought up 
seem very much aligned with, to me, the old TSR D&D games. Oh, those were awesome. Those were awesome on PC. Yeah. Those were so good. Uh, Hard. Well, yeah, some of them, yeah. And it it was... But but a lot of the same, like you, you're definitely creating your own party from scratch. Um, you can mix and match however you want. You can even mess up the alignments if you want. But you know, <laughs> genders, classes, races, the whole the whole schmabubble. And then you just kind of go out and try and crush through this. Really, at the time when I was playing them, some of the stories were a little bit difficult to grasp. Some of them were a bit simpler than others, but. Yeah, very seem to be a very similar vein. Yeah, man. Um, a little, yeah, a little simpler. Um, like I played, there was a Dark Sun game that was perhaps one of the most uh, complex oh, yeah. before Boulder's Gate. Yeah. Um, right before Boulder's Gate, it was like the step prior. But then there was all those Forgotten Realms one and Dragonlance ones where the graphics were almost all the same for each one. And I think yes. you could even import your characters from game to game. Yes, you could go through the entire camp. I don't remember how many there were, but you could start with the level one characters and bring them all the way through every campaign that they had. Yeah. There was also, they released at some point the uh, a toolkit, which I'm sure was what they used to actually make those games. It was called Unlimited Adventures. I was thinking about actually covering that at some point, but I don't know. I don't know if that would really be worth it. It's just a neat thing that lets you, like, you could make your own campaigns that, you know, use that TSR engine. It was really well, that's neat. pretty cool. Yeah, that's actually really cool. Um, hmm. Okay. Well, I think maybe we'll. Uh move away from this unless there was anything else you wanted to say or um any thoughts you had outside of the uh the tsr stuff no i guess i guess i'm curious the the only other thing that i would be curious about was the what prevented you from doing some of the grinding because was it just lack of interest was it not fun enough was it something you didn't want to spend the time doing it was it was literally it was the the finite the finite weapons um right that's it like the the well yeah when you consider it i was uh give me a second Um, okay yeah no 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 i was uh i was six maybe seven playing this game yeah yeah right so asking me to have the patience and resource management skills to um competently grind and then engage with like some very high level hard bosses uh just um yeah or to have the patience to go back and grind to get the money to get the sword that i just wasted grinding to get the experience to get stronger to go get the bad guy um it was yeah it was uh expecting a little too much i think uh of myself (laughs) (laughs) my six or seven year old self just uh wasn't ready for that yet so yeah. I would be in a, in a couple of years. By 92, I was 100% ready to do that. So um, just uh, just a two year, uh, couple of years too soon. Um, so yeah, was yeah. there anything else or yeah. should we no, move on? No, that's good. That's good. Okay. Uh, so then the next section is what can you teach us? Uh, Stu and I love talking about video games, but we also really enjoy hearing from you, the audience. So if you feel like you have a valuable lesson you've learned from gaming, please feel free to share it. Uh, and just send it to learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com and uh, we'll read it out. Experiences, questions, anything. Like uh, we're, we're pretty open at the moment. 
Uh, I'm going to check the email very, very quickly, but I'm pretty sure we only had the one. Um, yes, everything else is Patreon, GoDaddy, and Podbean. So we are good. Um, okay, so then unless you have an email or a personal exchange that you wanted to read, Stu. Uh, not yet. Okay, well, we will We'll get there. hope. We'll hope. So then the next section is what we've been playing. Um, we just talked about games that we've played in the past or that we thought were really valuable. Now let's talk about what we've been playing recently. So what have you been playing recently, Stu? Well, we've been doing a little bit, a very little bit of Albion Online, which... Yeah, I saw that. You've got a server going right now? For Albion? No, 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 no. Albion is a MMO that released recently it's been a beta for like a million years and they finally okay. finally did their their final character wipe and did their proper release and <laughs> okay yada yada okay cool but, uh, only a very little bit i'm actually i'm surprised i've actually sunk more time into not a ton of time but still more into rebuild three what's that i think Rebuilds 1 and 2 started out as Flash and mobile games. Okay. I think Rebuild 3 might have even been mobile f initially, but scooped it off of Steam. And it's the premise is you're rebuilding towns after a zombie outbreak, basically. So it's a bit of resource management, a bit of leveling up different characters in different ways. So you show up at a town with, you know, your four, your your main character and then you can have up to three people that you take with you to the next town and you go from town to town and you show up and you have to kind of clear out an area of zombies and attract other survivors and feed everybody, keep everybody happy and deal with other factions. And it's, it's actually pretty well done. I'm actually, I'm, I've been enjoying it more than I thought I would. Okay, cool. They did a few things really well in terms of how you can deal with different problems. There are a lot of random events that you have to deal with. And some of them chain together very, very well. So when, when there are different factions that are opposing each other, you can. It, it feels very natural to go down the train of, of helping one or the other. And sometimes the consequences of that, sometimes they're very minimal and other times they're extravagant. And it's really interesting that I don't know, there, there's a a very wide cause and effect that can happen, and you're not really sure what's going to be important and what's not. And it all bites you in the ass eventually because zombies. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, cool. So, uh, any other thoughts on that one or anything else you've been playing? No, that's it. Okay. Well, then I guess I've got to go. Um, so I've got, uh, yeah, I've got three things to talk about. Uh, so first thing I started playing, uh, I picked up Blaze Blue. It was on sale for Steam. Uh, so Blaze Blue Central Fiction, uh, and this is a, uh, technical fighter. Beautiful, beautiful game. Uh, like very, very much, um, I think it's made by Arc Systems, which is the, they're the, they're right now they're premier. They're basically... They're doing what Capcom should be doing, but for whatever reason decided not to. Uh, and, and so their pixel art is animation. 
like animation grade like it's like you're playing an anime when you fight um and it's very very good uh there's there's systems in game are somewhat elaborate like there's meters and barriers and charges and every single one of their characters is so different and i just i can't even imagine the headache of balancing everything but they have a very very robust um collection of of uh, characters that you can play so many of them are just like these basic anime tropes but i just i wanted to see what a contemporary technical fighter was like Picked it up, started playing it. I've only played about an hour. Uh, the training mode in it's kind of funny. They, for some reason, they built in sort of an anime-esque sort of story um, <laughs> to train you. So you have to sit through the story, which can be annoying um, unless you're an anime fan. You sit through the story as like these two people bicker trying to to teach you, but it's it's engaging. It's sort of funny, um, and the controls. And just the game itself, like, spot on. Just uh, very, very tight controls. um, And just everything that's good about a technical fighter. Uh, But also, gosh, am I ever bad at technical fighters right now? (laughs) Uh, So bad. Uh, Not even playing online, just playing against the the computer. And I am just getting rocked right now. So I've still got a lot to learn in that game. And I'm not sure when I'm going to learn it. Very excited to have it. Look forward to maybe playing with people sometime. Um, but yeah, so I picked up Blaze Blue. Uh, next up, there was a game called Space Tyrant that was advertising itself as a 5X game. Uh, it's only a 4X game. So, uh, turn-based <laughs> strat, uh, 4X, and it's all about being a big old bad villain. So, 4X, what are all the X's against, dude? Can you remind me? Uh, explore, expand, X something, and exterminate? Yeah. Um, one, yeah, Research is in there somewhere, but I'm not sure how research... Uh, how many whatever. X's does research have? It has no X's. Um, anyway. Um, Explore, exploit. expand, exploit, exterminate. There we go. Um, so, cute little game. Um, very much a one-player game. Uh, you're, you're just a space tyrant. Like, you're in there, you're the bad guy. You're trying to destabilize the good uh, Senate and uh, just take over parts of the galaxy for yourself. Uh, You blow things up for fun. You do all kinds of bad things for fun. Um, I had a Hypnotoad, which helped me uh, retrofit my ships. Like, just a bunch of funny little uh, random stuff happens, and it just adds a bit of... It's really just a joke. Um, It's a 4X game wrapped in a joke, uh, wrapped in some okay mechanics. But it it passes the time. It was fun. The art style is nice. Um... So I, I enjoyed it? Uh, question mark? I don't know. Um, the resource management is really simple. Uh, there's a bunch of cards that you get, so it's like a card-based system as well for special abilities. Um, and you just play them like instance, like whenever you want. Um, hmm. Yeah, it was all right. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I don't I don't want to like shit on it. Like it, It's a fun game, but... Um, Mechanically I'm underwhelming? Not- yeah, I'm not playing it right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, you'll notice I wasn't playing it before we started. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it definitely didn't grab me like some 4, 4X games do. Um, next up is Dark Age, the miniature game. So I played this uh, I played this on the weekend, actually. One of my uh, one of the people I know online, his name's Ash, uh, Ash Baker. 
Barker? Baker? Oh my god. Oh, he's going to kill me if he ever hears this podcast. Ashy B. Um, well, Ash, he's uh, from Gorilla Miniatures, uh, Gorilla Miniature Games. He's got his own channel on YouTube. Um, so went into a studio, uh, played some games, and it was fun. It was a fun game. Uh, I mean, I haven't played tabletop in, I'd say, almost three, four years. Um, but this was very easy, very accessible. The The rules were very, very simple to get around, but still have a lot of depth and crunchiness. I was able to pull off some, some sneaky little uh, tricks um, using magic and stuff. So it was, uh, it was good. It was a good time. Um, also, I painted my own stuff, and it was actually done. Like, I actually finished painting my own stuff. Nice. And it's hard to explain how rare that is, but uh, this game is a scrimmage game, so it's it's a little easier. Like, I was only putting, I think, uh, eight or nine guys on the table. Oh, so okay. Yeah, that's not too bad then. Had a month to do it and did it, and I, I feel kind of good about it. Uh, and Ash, like, motivated me to do it, encouraged me to do it. Uh, might help that he used to be, like, general manager or regional manager for all of the games workshop stores in ontario <laughs> so he he knows those tricks um but yeah uh very it was fun it was it was a good time uh good, good. i haven't haven't had that much fun rolling dice in a while so nice um and i just like that setting uh post-apocalypse on a planet that has absolutely no impact on our lives at all <laughs> Just some magic faraway galaxy where there are these rocks that um, basically induce latent psycho or psychic abilities in everyone. Uh, so, you know. Um, yeah, other than that, I don't think uh, I don't think I've been playing much else. I've just been uh, too busy with the baby and my wife and my life um, and work. So I think we might be getting to the closing part, Stu. Um, did you want to shift into the, uh, shift into the close? I'm struggling for something else to bring up, but yeah, I guess, I guess that's it. Hey, no, it's okay. We've been talking for at least an hour and that's not a bad thing. So, yeah, yeah. um, that's it for this episode, everybody. Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen and we hope that you've enjoyed yourselves. Stu, do you have anything to plug this week just before we close things down and before I say my bit? Well, the only new thing I've come across recently that was remotely interesting has been Rebuild 3. Check it out. Okay, cool. Um, So then I guess uh, for me uh, this week, I was also able to uh, guest guest star slash host on uh, Gaming History X through the Gaming History 101 podcast. Uh, And actually, that episode is up. So it's called Full House. And it's uh, just myself... Fred, Trees, and a gentleman named Wolfie, and we're all just uh, talking about video games with uh, sort of a retro game player flair. And uh, things get a little salty. Uh, <laughs> not all is well in retro game uh, retro gamer land. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're doing what we can. Uh, so, yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, just go to the ULR, which is GamingHistory101.com. Um, also, it's on uh, YouTube. Uh, YouTube. It's on iTunes. So uh, definitely check it out there. Um, I also want to plug the Geek uh, Geek Therapy Network and Yosue's, uh, like, that entire network. That is just such a cool, like, cool site, cool collection of podcasts, um, exploring stuff that is near and dear to my heart, um, but from an angle that I hadn't thought about. 
Um, so was really, really happy to encounter that and to be able to engage. Uh, that was, that was really awesome. Thank you again for emailing us. Uh, I want to plug Plus 8 Intelligence. Without you, I would not. So uh, podcast uh, easily found on iTunes, and they also have their own website. And for finding it on, was it Plus 7 or Plus 8? I might be doing a serious disservice right now. Uh, plus 7, there we go. Um, plus 7 Intelligence. Uh, actually use the plus sign uh, when, when doing the ULR, I think. But... Uh, yeah, uh, without that, without that uh, podcast, I would not have been able to find the Geek Therapy Network, and uh, of course, Gorilla Miniature Games. Check out their, uh, well, check out Ash's um, site on YouTube. He does a lot of stuff. He plays all kinds of fringe games, so uh, stuff that you usually don't see videos for. He he's probably played it. Um, uh, he also plays mainstream stuff, but uh, there's a lot of other channels that do as well, so he likes to sort of go on the less walked path. And I think that's it. Um, if you want to know more about Learn From Gaming Podcast, we have all kinds of social media that's actually getting used now. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook, you can check us out on Twitter, and of course we have our website at www.learnfromgaming.com. And once we really figure out what we're doing, uh, the podcast is going to be on iTunes. It's still getting vetted, uh, only because I submitted it earlier today, literally. Um, we're hoping to get it on other outlets as well, but uh, once it's on iTunes, uh, that's even more exposure, which is great. So, yeah. Uh, otherwise, Stu, is there anything you wanted to say before we shut this one down? Just the usual thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks again, everybody, and uh, tune back soon. 